want to introduce our new sermon series to you. It's in the book of Psalms, and since there are 150 Psalms, we're not going to look at each one or years. So what we are going to do, though, is over the next nine weeks, we intend to go through some of the more famous Psalms, the ones that are most well-known. Tonight, we'll look at Psalm 1. Before I do that, though, I want to introduce you to some of the the things about the Psalms that will help us approach this in a more beneficial way. The Psalms, as you know, are very emotional. They express, the Psalm writers express their deepest feelings toward God. They're not afraid to, to let it all out. Uh, one writer, uh, Larry Crabb, who's a, uh, a psychologist, a counselor, and a, and a writer, has uh, written a book called The Papa Prayer in which he says we all ought to come to God with our red dots. You know what a red dot is? Remember when we used to shop at the malls? <laughs> they used to have a directory there and there was a red dot on it that meant what? You are here, right? So he says when we come to God, we ought to just let God know where are we? What are we feeling? What are we thinking? What's going on in our minds? Well, the psalmists are very good at that. In fact, you'll see things like loneliness mentioned, discouragement and turmoil, shame. Psalm 44 says, shame has covered my face. They were totally honest and not afraid to tell all that was going on within them. You even saw fear, anger, peace, grief. My eye wastes away because of grief, Psalm 6 says. Brokenheartedness. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Because the psalmist, that's where he was living. So they were very open about sharing their red dot. Often that's very different from the way you and I approach God, isn't it? Sometimes you and I approach God kind of the way Adam and Eve approached God. Remember when they sinned in the garden? They had shame. They had guilt. And so what did they do? Found the biggest tree they could find and hid behind it right? We like to do that. We're afraid of being not, uh, rejected or not accepted. And all God wants to do is to have us come be honest, tell the truth, so I can bring healing, I can bring redemption, I can bring forgiveness. You know, that's a significant thing. So as we approach the Psalms here, we want to give you that opportunity to do that. And over the next nine weeks, um, we want to come honestly. The Psalms are very honest. We'll get the most out of it if we come honestly to the Psalms as well. Now, to introduce Psalm 1, I want to uh, use a God at Work story as an introduction. Uh, it's a God at Work of uh, Ricky Brittner, Jr. And uh, the reason I want to do that is because he exemplifies a lot of the things that you find in Psalm 1. He demonstrates it for us. So what I'd like you to do is you watch the video, look for a couple of things. First of all, look for his honesty, his red dot. He tells you where he's at. Second thing I want you to look for is look for the choices that he made. He made some choices that made a significant difference in his life. So watch for that. And the final thing that I'd like you just to notice is his demeanor. What kind of an attitude with which is he speaking? And um, do you see peace? What kind of uh, emotions do you see as he's speaking? All right, let's take a look. 
I've always seen God's work in my life, breaking many bones over and over again, and experiencing a lot of trials with my condition. I really didn't come to faith until I was 18 or 19. I used to smoke weed, or marijuana, there we go, um, and I was living this like double life. Growing up in a Christian home, I didn't really make my faith my own until I moved out of my house and went to college. And that's when, you know, God became really like real to me. I, I really started to study scripture, different things in theology. After college, the new struggle was keeping this faith that I had made my own. Now being back in that old environment. My walk wasn't as steady. I became more lazy in my walk with Christ. Um, not really studying scripture because I was weighted down with the troubles of being back home. And it was just a depressing stage because I wasn't moving forward. I didn't really see any opportunity being back there. It's not really accessible in, in that part of West Virginia. Um, not a whole lot of benefits to living there for someone with a condition. I have a condition called osteogenesis imperfecta. It's also known as OI. And what that really is, is my bones are brittle and they break easily. And over my life, I've had about 25 broken bones, but I've broken about 200 times. And God's been with me, protecting me, helping me heal in the midst of each trauma. And it's been a very good character building process where I have to rely on God to help me through that. Before I moved back to West Virginia, God had a plan as to how he was going to get me out of there. My family always took us to Creation Fest when we were kids growing up. And I was about uh, 16 when I met Sierra Carasquillow and her family. Sierra grew up here in New Jersey and been a good friend ever since. I would come up over the years to visit. When I was struggling in West Virginia with some of the trials there, I knew it to call Sierra. I prayed about coming up here to live. Now I'm living with Kevin and Sierra McDowell. Living here, I'm moving forward in life. I serve here at FAC with the kids. I also am part of the men's group, which is so amazing. I have been led to speak and tell God's story. God's really gifted me with this boldness this boldness that I really wasn't aware of. And now I'm doing things that I never really thought that I had the courage to do. I'm working on getting speaking engagements. My trials are unique and they appear to be very troublesome, but they're not as challenging when you have Christ in your life. Jesus is my salvation. God the Father provided that for me. Holy Spirit speaks to me. 
when all is said and done, I'd want my legacy to be the fact that God was glorified in my life in all things, whether it be the way I look, my actions, the thing I say, just that he would be glorified. I'm Ricky Brittner Jr. and God is at work in my life. story, isn't it? A great story. Notice how honest Ricky was, how Ricky made some choices that made a difference in his life. And he's living out, like I said, many of the things that we see in Psalm 1. Uh, this psalm really is a very simple psalm. It depicts two ways of life, the way of the person who delights in God and the way of the person who does life by himself without God. And then it goes on to show the results of both of those choices in this life. There are consequences, both good and bad, for these ways of life. And then finally, the psalm goes into what is the destiny of each choice. So let's take a look at it. I put down in your main idea here the honest truth, because that's what this psalm is doing. It's just laying out the honest truth. The honest truth is, first of all, we all have a choice. And I see that in verses 1 and 2. It says there this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The word blessed means happy, but it's deeper than just happy. It's uh, more of a deep-seated contentment, and therefore a joy that just won't quit. A, a real joy. So that's the blessed man who is delighting in God. The, the other word at the beginning of that, in that first phrase, is the wick word wicked. I think we need a little understanding of that because often we think of a wicked person as like a Hitler or Pol Pot or somebody who's a murderer, and they are definitely included in that. But the term is much broader than that. It could be your next-door neighbor. <laughs> And in some ways, all of us were wicked at one time before Christ redeemed us, right? But the word wicked actually is better translated the ungodly. And all it's referring to is anyone who does life without God. So, some of the people who are, quote, wicked, really do a lot of good in this world. They may feed the hungry. They may do a lot of things for their neighbors. They may be wonderful, quote, people. But they're doing life without God, who created them for his glory, for his purpose, to accomplish eternal things. And so they turn their back on God and walk away from him and do it on their own. That's wicked. That's not right. So uh, that's who the wicked are. So keep that in mind as we go through this passage. Now, there are three negative statements in comparing these two ways of life. There are three negative statements and one positive statement. Let's take a look at the three negative ones first. The first negative statement is, the man who is blessed does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or of the wicked. That means he doesn't follow their advice. Counsel of the wicked has to do with your way of thinking, with your mindset. I guess you could use the word, your worldview. The grid through which you see everything in life, 
And so the blessed man doesn't live by their counsel. He, he doesn't believe like the ungodly. Uh, the perception of the ungodly, that mindset of those who do life without God is pervasive. It's everywhere you look, isn't it? Because most of the people in the world seem to not do life with God. So when you look at TV, movies, internet articles, uh, lots of things that you look at, you're inundated with that wisdom of the world, the counsel of those who do life without God. I was talking to a man in our church, uh, actually several months ago now, and he was telling me, that he was up for a promotion at work. He was trying to decide whether to take it or not. And uh, he had talked to some of the people that worked with him, and uh, they said, well, uh, this is a great raise in pay. I mean, of course you're going to take it, right? And he even talked to some believers, and some of the believers that he talked to said things like this. You'd be foolish not to take that promotion. Uh, yeah, I know you won't have as much time for your family, but God can make it work for you. After all, he's giving you this opportunity. Well, he wasn't, something didn't settle right in his heart. And he's sharing with me that he'd pray to God and say, God, what, what am I supposed to do? The more he thought about it, the more he realized this job was going to take him, uh, cause him to travel a lot more than he had been. So he'd be out of town a lot more. And then he also realized when he looked at the job carefully, he realized even when he was home, he's going to be spending a lot more time on the job. And he just felt as he prayed, God wouldn't want him doing this, that it would hurt his family. So he turned it down. Now, what I want to show you in that example is that this man did what the Psalm 73, 24 says. It says there to God, you guide me with your counsel. He got his counsel from the Lord instead of the counsel walking in the counsel of those who do life without God. Of course, anybody in the world would say, more money, that's a, that's a done deal. <laughs> Why not? You know, there's more to it. And the counsel of the Lord helps us avoid a lot of the pitfalls that normally we'd fall into. So that's the first um, negative statement. The second negative statement is, nor stands in the way of sinners. What's the way of sinners? The way they live. It's their behavior, the things that they do. And so the blessed man doesn't believe like those who do life without God, and he doesn't behave like those who do life without God. Now, there's a principle at work here. I don't know if you see it. The principle is this. Belief always determines behavior. Whatever we truly believe is going to find its way out in our actions. Sometimes we even say that we believe something, but what we truly believe about it actually is what we do. Now, there's a man uh, by the name of Neil Anderson. He's a, a, a counselor and author. And he was talking about when he was growing up, he lived on a farm. And he and his dad and his brother used to go to the neighboring farm to help them gather in crops or to trade vegetables or things like that. But this neighbor had a dog that he was afraid of, thought this dog was going to bite him all the time. 
So they'd go over in the pickup truck. He'd get out of the truck, and sure enough, this dog would come running around the corner. He'd go running back toward the pickup truck, jump up in the pickup truck. One day, he got so tired of it that he just jumped off the truck, and he kicked a stone at the dog. The dog turns around and runs away with his tail between his legs. Now, I want to demonstrate something to you here. When he first went over there, he had a belief about that dog. He was believing that dog was going to hurt him. Um, It was a false belief. It was a lie. He believed a lie, but what he believed, even though it wasn't true, caused his whole body to react. His heart sped up. His emotions sped up. His muscles reacted, and he ran to the truck. Later, when he realized what the truth was and he changed his belief to what the truth was, his body reacted totally differently, right? Heart didn't rise up. His emotions were calm. You know, that dog never ran after his dad or his brother. (laughs) They didn't have a problem with it at all. It always just chased him. Here's Here's the truth. The devil foists a lot of untruth on the entire world. In fact, uh, we're told that Satan is the father of lies in John 8. We're told in Revelation 12, he deceives the whole world. Now, think about the connections here. He deceives the whole world, which is saying... The whole world believes the lies the devil puts out there. He always mixes it with enough truth so it looks good, so you're going to buy into it. If the whole world buys into it, how are they going to act? How are they going to behave? We find that in 1 John 5.19. It says there, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Why does the whole world lie in his power? Because they believe him. And because they believe him, he has the power over them. He controls their actions. So it begins to make real good sense, doesn't it? Why I wouldn't want to get the counsel of someone who does life without God. If you do, you have to be very, very discerning. Not that there's no truth at all but you've got to examine it. Is this really true in God's eyes? So there's some wise counsel here. That's why this man is so blessed. He doesn't get caught in those traps of untruth. And then the final statement here that's negative is the blessed man doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, scoff To scoff simply means to mock, to uh, make fun of, to deride. And uh, this man, let's put it this way. When you believe the philosophy, the worldview of people who don't do life with God, and you practice the acts, you behave, and, and you do this over and over and over again, that way of life starts to look pretty good to you, doesn't it? And the way of life of God sort of looks worse and worse. 
and you get more entrenched in the way you're practicing life uh, until finally you look at the other way of life, God's way of life, and you start making fun of it. You start mocking it. You start getting critical and cynical. And the world is full of that. All you have to do is, in fact, I did. I went on the Internet and looked up a few things, and there's, I don't have time to go into all the examples, but it's rampant. People making fun of God or people who believe in God, you've all run into it, I'm sure. Well, the blessed man doesn't go there. In other words, he doesn't belong with that crowd. So this blessed man doesn't believe like those who do life without God. He doesn't behave like those who do life without God. And he doesn't belong in the same uh, place as those people because he's just not like them. He's blessed. So those are the negative statements, but now there's a positive statement. Let's take a look at that. A positive statement here. It says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The word law is not just referring to like the Ten Commandments or the law of Moses. It's a broader term in in the language that uh, this was written in, and it just refers to the teaching. So it's the entire teaching of God. Everything in the Scriptures is referred to here. And so his delight is in all of that teaching of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So that's the law. It's the teaching. We need to camp on this one word that's next in line there, delight. Delight makes all the difference in the world in your life. Delight makes all the world of difference in Psalm 1 as to understand it. It makes all the difference when we come to the entire Bible. Let me show you why. You know, if you uh, were to discipline yourself to obey all the commands of God and you beat yourself and you set boundaries for yourself so you're sure to obey God, you might succeed at least for a little bit. I don't know how far you'd get because nobody can live perfectly. But if you did that, you know what that would cause in you? You'd probably get a little bit of pride, a little self-righteousness. Look what I've been able to do. I've been obeying God. Oh, yeah, I'm happy. Look what I've been doing. And you can point to what you have done. If you come to God and his commands, his uh, teaching with delight... First of all, it's easier to do because you enjoy it. You do, you know, you, but, but it takes away, you don't become a scribe or a Pharisee. That's what they did. They put all these rules down and they followed them rigidly. And what happened? They became self-righteous and hypocrites. Well, we don't want to be that. No, delight takes all of that away. I mean, guys, before you were married, right? What did you do? You, you took your wife out and you delighted to do whatever she wanted you to do, Right? Or or in the reverse, you women, you loved to do what your boyfriend, soon-to-be husband, liked. Why? Because you delighted in them. It changes everything. Delight is closely related to love. That's why when you were dating and getting married, that's why you had delight in each other. You loved each other. And I don't know if you realize it, but it's really important that we love God because nobody gets to heaven, nobody lives eternally with God without loving him. James 2.5 gives us an example of that. It's talking about those who 
uh, are rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, the kingdom which he has promised to who? To those who love him. Or in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for who? Those who love him. So, here we sit. I know I should love God. I know I, I should be delighting in him. But if we're honest, if we show God our red dot, where are we really? Do we really do that? And if not, okay, help me out here. How can I do it? How can I get there? Well, there's several things you can do to get to delighting God. Number one, ask him, dear God, help me delight in you. Number two, put yourself in a position where it's likely to happen. In other words, come to church where you'll hear the words of God, where you'll worship in songs, where the environment is conducive to delighting in him. A few weeks ago, Marty was talking about uh, the difficulty that some of our uh, kids' Bible study teachers have because some of the kids show up one week and then they don't see them for three, four, five weeks. It's like, how do we help them grow when they're not here? Uh, you got to be here. So don't take a summer vacation from God, right? Keep yourself somewhere where the environment is conducive to that. But the real key... I think this trumps everything else is found right here in this passage. Imagine that. It's the second part of this positive phrase. Take a look at it. It says, On his law he meditates day and night. Meditating on the word of God brings delight. When uh, I was 15 years old, we moved to a farm. And uh, the farmhouse had a big, long porch that overlooked a meadow where they kept cows. And so uh, I'd often come down off the porch and come up to the uh, electric fence and stand there, and these cows would all gather around me in a semicircle, like they're just waiting for me to preach to them. And they'd just stare at me. And they would stand there, and they wouldn't budge. We had a staring contest. I always lost. <laughs> But they were doing something. Their jaws were going up and down. Not straight up and down, kind of around in a circle. It's like they were grinding that grass. And they'd swallow it, and it would come back up. I know it's gross. Come back up, and they'd chew it some more. What were they doing? They were getting every ounce of nourishment out of the grass that was in their mouth. And that's what meditation does. It takes God's teachings, the Word of God, and we turn over every word in our minds, in our, and, 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 and we get all the spiritual nourishment out of it we can. God brings thoughts to us that help us. I'm telling you the best way to meditate is to memorize the verse. And I know many of you have done that. I know there are a lot, several people here I know who've memorized whole books of the Bible, which is wonderful if you're going to meditate on it and allow it to change your heart. That's what makes the difference. And so if you have not done that, I'm going to give you some homework. 
If you've not tried it, if you've not meditated like that, if you're not delighting in God, and remember, that is utterly important. If you're going to delight in God, take his word and meditate on it. I'm going to suggest Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Two verses, simple verses to memorize. And the reason I'm suggesting them is because they deal with the very words of God. Here's what they say. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and causing it to bud and to flourish so that it gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, God says. It will not return to me empty, but will achieve the purpose, will achieve what I desire and accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. Now you take those words, memorize them, and let God speak to you through them. Sometimes I like to do this, going to bed at night, I'm laying on my pillows, I'm drifting off to sleep, thinking on these words. And I know there's some people that say, yeah, it always puts me to sleep too. <laughs> no. <laughs> but then I wake up sometimes with those same thoughts. That's a beautiful thing. And God puts new thoughts in there, and it starts to change my heart. It can do that for us. And do you know what the byproduct of all of that is? Delight. Delight in God's Word. And here's why. Especially when you see the context of those verses. Do you realize those verses were given to the nation of Israel when they were in captivity? And it's in a section of passage in Isaiah where God is promising to deliver them out of captivity. And the very next verses say, You will go out from captivity in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will shout, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. It's like all of nature will rejoice when you're set free from your captivity. A lot of Bible scholars look at that as a prophecy of the millennium as well. And you, then you stop and realize this promise of God to them to give deliverance is right there next to those verses that say, My word will never fail. What comes out of my mouth will accomplish its purpose. It cannot not do what I say. And then you start to realize God brings to your mind other promises because that is also true of the other promises of God. And when you start to realize that, Let's say you're feeling lonely, you're mourning, and you find a promise of God that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you realize God cannot go back on that promise. He is there. And when the truth of that hits your heart, and you're so convinced of that because you know His Word never returns empty. It accomplishes what He said. It brings delight because it meets you where you're at. Have you experienced that? That's the life of the blessed man, the man who delights in God. So, go home and try that. Will you choose God's delight, or will you choose the way of doing life without God? Ricky Brittner, the video at the beginning that we showed, made some choices to put himself in a better spot, didn't he? He, like I said, he changed his environment so he could learn to delight in God, and of all places, it ended him up in New Jersey. 
But it did something for him. It changed him. He had the opportunity to be angry at God because of his condition. He could have tried finding joy and relief in many other things, but he didn't do that. He made the decision to delight in God. All right, let's go to point number two. This is, uh, we'll go quicker here. The honest truth, secondly, in this passage is this. We all live out the results of our choices. Each choice to delight in God or to do life without God has some consequences, good or bad. This passage describes the results, the consequences of uh, choosing to delight in God. It shows us that first in verse 3. It says, The man who does that is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. It's a picture of a healthy tree. It's a picture of total well-being. We're told three things about him. Number one, he's fruitful. People who are around him can be nourished by his fruit. And as you know, fruit doesn't grow overnight. It doesn't grow in a week, sometimes not even a month. I hope you're not somebody who goes out and plants a whole bunch of grass seed and the next morning goes out and expects to mow it. It's not going to be there. (laughs) It takes time, right? And so the the man who delights in God doesn't do so for instant gratification. Oh, I tried this and it didn't work. Oh, no. He delights in God because it's the right thing to do, because God is worth it, and because I know ultimately it will bear fruit. The Scripture's telling me it will here. Uh, There's another passage in Galatians uh, chapter 6, verses, uh, I believe it's verse 8. Let's see, where am I here? Uh, fruitful blessing. Mm. We have it on the screen? I don't know, I lost it. Anyhow, what it says is that if we continue to do good, sooner or later we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So the thing to do is to delight in God no matter what. The fruit will be there. That's the first description of this person. He is fruitful. The second thing that we're told about him is that he endures. His leaf does not wither. Uh, Yeah, storms are going to come. Yeah, drought is going to come. But he doesn't dry up. Uh, You know, drought comes to all of us in life, doesn't it? He doesn't dry up. Why? Because his roots go deep next to that river from which he gets his nourishment, his water, and so he doesn't dry up. The last thing we're told about him is that he prospers. And that word refers to more than business or money. It refers to every area of his life. He prospers in every area. His thinking prospers. His work prospers. His relationships prosper. His recreation prospers. Everything about him prospers. Do you sense the peace, the fullness, and the blessing of someone who delights in God? 
It's worth it. And then he looks at the other side of the picture. What are the results of the person who does life without God? We're told that in the next verse, verse 4. It says this, The wicked or the ungodly are not like that. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Now, 150 years ago, we wouldn't need to explain that, but just in case, uh, when they harvested crops, for instance, let's say they're harvesting wheat, right? They'd cut it down with a knife or with a scythe or something like that, and they'd lay it all out, and then they'd get something, and they would pound the grain so that the pods that hold the grain would break open and the grain would be released. And then they would take a pitchfork or some kind of an instrument and throw it up in the air just like this. And the wind would come along, and since the pod is lighter than the, uh, than the grain, it would blow away. And the grain, which is heavier, meaty, and it has the nutrition, it drops, and they're separated. That's what God in this passage is saying the wicked are like. They're like that pod. They call it the chaff that the wind just drives away and it blows them in any direction. They're blown away. And what's it good for? Really nothing. A lot of times it was burned. can't be used for anything else. And so these people are described as that way. They have no peace. They're blown one way or the other. And you know what? A lot of times... They want to be blown because what are they searching for? They're searching for happiness. They're searching for peace. They're looking for contentment. So I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to see if I can find it here. And when that runs out, I'm going to run over here to get it. I'm going to get my sense of worth over here. And and my my, to help my loneliness, I'm going to run over here. And they're running all over the place. They're blown around by the winds of their own desires. And they end up weightless. There's no substance to the character that nourishes the people around him, like the man who is blessed of God, who delights in God's Word. So, is this you? Where's your red dot on this point? Does your life and character carry any weight to it? Do you keep looking for joy, contentment, and peace? How much of your life is carried by the wind? Do you impact those around you in fruitful ways? Is there spiritual weight to your life? I recently saw a t-shirt for sale that had some writing on it. It said this, may your life someday be as awesome as you make it appear to be on Facebook. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes we resort to that. We have to create our own happiness, our own picture of significance. The person who does life without God is in a pretty sorry boat. So where's your red dot, really? Ricky Brittner, in that video that we looked at, he had such a great chance to be bitter at God because of his condition. He had every excuse to hang up on his faith. He had every excuse to get depressed and despondent or to fill his needs with drugs or some other way of finding happiness. But he didn't. He chose to delight in God's teaching. And I asked you to pay particular attention to the demeanor, the kind of attitude with which he spoke. 
what I saw, I don't know if you saw this, but what I saw was stability, a sense of purpose, uh, an identity. He knew who he was. And I saw fruit coming out. He's having the chance now to share his story with other people. He's delighting in God, and God is causing it now to start to bear fruit after a number of years. And that leads us to point three. The honest truth is we all will face God based on our choices. Verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 says, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked don't have anything to stand on. You know, their lives haven't amounted to anything. They haven't given much to anybody else of eternal significance. And it says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Sinners and the righteous are going to be separated, like the wheat from the chaff. Remember that? They're separated. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The word know in the Scriptures always has to do with relationship. Like in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where we're told that... uh, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son, Cain. It's an intimate relationship depicted there. And that's what this verse is saying. God knows intimately the way of the righteous person, but he doesn't the way of the wicked, the way of those who do life without God. It's not that he doesn't know who they are, but he hasn't entered into that relationship with them. Consequently, they will perish. So as you look at this entire psalm, it's really very, very simple. Each of us has a choice to delight in God or to do life on our own without God. Each of those choices have a result or a consequence, both good and bad. And ultimately, it affects our destinies. I've been around a while, and I've seen people make both choices. I've seen people who made the choice for God. They delighted in God, and it's a beautiful thing to see. I've also seen people choose the other path, to do life without God. In fact, when I think about that, I think of of three men that I I know, uh, all pastors, believe it or not, but something in their lives they began to delight in more than in God. And the one man, I I even remember doing several worship services with him, participating with him in the worship services, and he's a very, very talented man. He ended up dying of a drug overdose. Uh, And the, the other guys, they're still around, but they're in a sad, sad place. You don't want to be where they are. The family's all broken up. Horrific, And now they've got medical issues on top of it, brought on by all of that. It's a mess. You don't want to make that choice. You don't want to do life without God. You want to delight in God. When I think of delighting in God, I think of a number of people that I know who've done that all their lives. One in particular comes to the forefront of my mind just because not too long ago I had the chance to go to a birthday party for this man's wife. 
Now, they have four grown children who are living all over the United States, and they all came back for this event. So I had the chance to talk to them individually, one-on-one, just for a little bit. And as I talked to them, I got even more blessed. Because here's this righteous man. He's not perfect. I'm not saying that. But he delights in God and has his whole life. And I'm looking at the fruit that that has brought in his life, the blessing that he has as a result of that. And I see now after all of these years, the fruit, the stability. Oh, it hasn't been easy. They have gone through some very, very difficult things, life-threatening events, even some medical events that are very, very difficult but they are enduring. Remember that? The godly person is like a tree planted by the water, and he will endure, and that's what I see them doing. They're thriving in the midst of it because their roots go deep into the earth where they're getting nourishment, and the water is sucked up by those roots. The Word of God is sustaining them. And when they you better believe there's depth to it. And that depth transferred to their kids. Now, the kids have to make up their own minds. They have, they have their own choices to make. But these kids chose to delight in God, too. And as I'm talking to them, I'm even more blessed because each one of them have tremendous careers. They are valued in their careers. They are trusted in their careers because there is a weight to their lives, too. That's the beautiful way of the man who delights in God. And I got to tell you, that's what I want to see for everybody here. I want to see you be able to delight in God that way so you feel that blessing. Marty and the whole rest of our staff, that's why we do what we do. We want to see you experience that. But we can't make that happen. You have to make that choice. Will you? Will you choose to delight in God? Will you take what I've suggested with Isaiah 55 and actually put it into practice? Will you put yourself in a position to learn to delight in the king of the universe who created you? There's nothing but blessing that he wants. And not that you don't have trouble in this life. We will. Storms will come. Droughts will come. But you will be planted by the river. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And uh, as we pray, I'm I'm going to ask you to think and, and pray to God, where is my red dot? Am I really delighting in God? And then after I'm finished praying, we're going to have uh, Dougie come out. He's going to play his guitar here a little bit with a little uh, instrument, instrumental music as, as we think and pray. And our uh, prayer team is going to come out here. Some staff people will come out here afterwards. And what I'd like you to do is if you pray and you're saying, I'm going to make that decision today, don't put it off. Don't, don't say, you know what, I- I'm going to think about this a while. This is really good food for thought. I'm going to give some thought to it. I've got to tell you, you do that, it's like drifting. You're going to drift. And believe me, nobody ever drifts into delight with God. All we ever do is drift away. So what I'm suggesting is that you make that choice right now. Now, I'm not trying to twist your arm or force you into anything. I'm just laying out the truth. This passage is just very honest. It's not trying to coerce anybody. It's just saying, 
On this hand, you have a choice to be blessed. On this hand, you live life without God. The consequences are not good. The choice is up to you. Will you choose what God's calling you to? Because he is calling. He's speaking to every heart right now. Would you make that choice? Let's pray. God, we lift all of the people in this room up to you. I know, God, your desire is that they hear your voice, that they follow you as their shepherd, and you will lead them into green pastures, pastures where they're by the rivers of uh, sustaining waters. But God, they've got to make that choice. Help them do that. Help them see their own red dot. Help them be totally honest. Lord, Adam and Eve hid. Lord, we don't want to hide. Help them not hide. You can't bring healing to their lives. Lord, maybe some are saying, yeah, I used, to, I used to live there and I'm too far gone now. God, we know with you nothing is impossible. And to start now where, where anyone is at will start their lives to turn around. There are many, many people in our church who've turned around and are now delighting in you. And yeah, it takes a while for the fruit to grow and the blessing to come. But God, it's a sure thing. It will come. So bless them as they make this choice, as they make this decision. Help them to come forward to tell these prayer people where their red dot is and then to pray about it. Lord, doing that, I know, uh, helps them be more accountable, helps them to take action. Lord, we don't want to hear these things and then walk away and forget all about them. And that act of simply coming and telling someone on the prayer team where their red dot is and what they want to do in delighting in you will burn it into their memories and help them really follow through. So be with us now, God. As we go from this place, I ask, God, your blessing on us. Uh, teach us how to delight in you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. And so if you plan to come forward to pray, um, that's great. Do that. If you're going to not pray or if you just want to sit in your seat and pray, that's fine. But I'd ask if you'd just uh, do all of your conversing out in the atrium so that the people here can pray. God bless you. Have a great Fourth of July. See you.